Welcome to episode seven of You Are Not A Frog. Why saying yes might just be one of your biggest mistakes. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, hospital doctors and other busy people in high stress jobs. Working in today's high stress environment, you may feel like a frog in boiling water. Things have heated up so slowly that you might not have noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. You've got used to feeling constantly busy and are often one crisis away from not coping. Let's face it, frogs only have two choices, to stay in the pan and get boils alive or to hop out and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more choices than you think you do. There are simple changes that you can make which will make a huge difference to your stress levels and help you enjoy life again. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP turned executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this so that together we can take back control to survive and really thrive in our work and lives. In this episode, I talk to Dr. Katie Bremel-Stainer, who is Chief Exec of Cambridgeshire LMC. We talk about why saying no is really important, but actually saying yes to the wrong things can put us in a very difficult position. So hi, I'm really pleased to have on the podcast today, uh, Dr. Katie Bremel-Stainer, who is the Chief Exec of Cambridgeshire LMC. So hi, Katie. Hello, lovely to be here. Thanks, Rachel. That's not all you do. What, what else... Uh, have you got uh, well first and foremost I'm a GP <laughs> lest we forget uh, I, I practice in a in Haleyview surgery big up to Haley Crow in, uh, in Hoddesdon in Hertfordshire uh, and I am a member of uh, BMA UK council and I am uh, a member of the GP committee of the BMA through dint of my role as deputy chair of the conference of UK LMCs which is like the the corporate political body for determining what policy uh, GPC needs to deliver on for the year ahead where it can call everyone to account so that's a I'm, I'm immensely privileged to have that role. Wow so loads of different stuff how did you how long have you been doing all that stuff for now? Um, ooh, uh, I was involved in, in representation um, at university um, I was general secretary of UCL Union, which marks me out as a complete saddo, but I spent a lot of time <laughs> in my medical degree um, playing politics and stuff in the union rather than actually learning any physiology or anatomy, which led to lots of resits in the summer holidays and stuff. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, I've always had an interest in politics. I've always been one of those tedious people that goes, well, you need to listen, you need to concentrate, you need to engage. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, uh, and and yeah, and I when I was a, a house officer at that bastion of clinical excellence of mid staffs, and I went back home after oh. my father had died the, uh, the year before, after I, before I qualified, and um, so I went home to kind of help support my mum with my brother who was still at school, and uh, and yeah, we were we weren't working legal hours, she would say. This is post EWTD. Okay. Uh, we were we were still working the old ADH hours with no compensatory rest post nights, um, and it was yeah a bit dodge. So I raised this with um, with uh, the, the the necessary individuals, and they're like, oh no, you must be mistaken. That's not the case at all. And I was like, oh, I'm pretty sad it is. And, mm. and, I've, and I've been involved in the medical students committee just for a couple of years, 
in my last two clinical years and I'd chaired the conference for students and I was aware of of the issues with the uh, antisocial hours and the Jaeger and SIMAP cases of EWTD within the Junior Doctors Committee. So, so I, I went along one evening to Birmingham to the West Midlands Regional JDC meeting and the BMA officers, as they then were, on the Harbourn Road and uh, thought, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll see if they can help me out because we're having a meeting. And only one other person turned up and he was mm. the chair. And so I became, I became the secretary, <laughs> the other person who turned up. And that got me a seat on the national JDC and uh, we actually brought a case against the trust and it was for a good number of years, the, the biggest win uh, against a trust in a, in a tribunal case um, for 14, 14 juniors um, uh, in terms of recompense for hours worked above and beyond uh, the contract. So that gave me a taste for what you, how you can affect change and, and things that you can get done. Uh, and I and I carried on representing junior doctors, and and then uh, because of MTAS, um, I left Oxford Guiney and became a GP, and uh, and carried on representing GP trainees. And it's it's sort of been that my hobby has sort of become my job now, really, I guess, which reflects poorly on me as an individual, but it's true. Oh, I mean, I think a lot of us standing up in committees and taking cases to court and things like that is really quite scary and daunting and thinking perhaps mm. I don't think I know what to say but do you really enjoy the, the com- combative nature what, what is it that you love about that it's not it's it's really interesting actually because I if I have conflict on a one-to-one personal basis um, I get terribly anglo-saxon and apologetic mm-hmm. and want to diffuse the tension and find it very awkward and get all flustered if it's on behalf of someone else mm. I feel very uh, frustrated if I perceive that there's unfairness and mm. inequity. Yeah. And for some reason, something deep within me that strives that no, that's not right. That needs being that has to be called out. That's got to be called out. And I can't stand hypocrisy. Um, and that has led me to have a very difficult life where where I feel um, obliged to challenge uh, things that go unchallenged. So um, mm. I guess that's what's that's what drives me, and what's in me, and and seeing seeing change being affected and having those conversations is and, and make genuinely feeling like you're trying to make a difference in what is a broken system is mm. really keeps me infused, and that's why it's so important that I keep in practice as well. Yeah, so you see what's going on on the ground, and you know how it how it actually is yes yeah i mean how do you when you're in these committees keep yourself calm and focused on the outcome rather than sort of reacting because it must be quite highly emotionally charged it can be it can be um and i don't think i'm known for being a shrinking violet i think Mm -hmm. people know i i tell it as it is that i can be quite challenging sometimes but i think they know that what they see they get from me. They know they're not mm. going to be had games played with them. I'm very straight and very honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll, I'll always have a, a um, I'll always pursue the same line. There's not going to be um, games played. Uh, so, so I think over time, if, if people find me a bit marmite to begin with, normally we end up being quite good colleagues because they can see that actually you can place your trust in me. And, and I'll and I'll come good, um, and I've always got, you know, I like to think I've always got, um, uh, you know, best interests at heart. To be honest with you, otherwise mm. there's no point doing the job, because when if you're if you're if you're being the voice of a professional, the voice of practice, 
that is that carries with it uh, immense privilege mm. also responsibility that you've got to if you're standing up for those tenets that you believe in you've got to espouse them and live them you've got to you know demonstrate the nolan principles that you call to account others mm. where you see them being deficient in that so that it's really important which makes me sound so pious and tedious <laughs> when actually i am you know i'm 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 yeah I'm not like that at all, as, as my friends will tell you. So, but yeah, so my professional face and my and my um, personal face can be quite different. And I think that's been learned over years in how to control my emotions and when to push uh, and which battles to fight. And uh, and I yeah, I'm much calmer now um, than I was when I was a, a junior doctor uh, and much more diplomatic. So uh, so if people think I'm feisty now. <laughs> You just like, you know, mega assertive, maybe. Absolutely, and I, I, you know, and I've got lots of colleagues of a, a different sex who behave in a similar way, and perhaps don't have those sorts of words attached to their behaviour. It's, it's always interesting, uh, yeah. But that's what it is. What it is. That's fine. Yeah, no, it, it's interesting the gender the gender difference. You know, for women is yes, mega assertive. She's bossy or whatever, and it, it, it's different for a man, which is definitely something I I think we could talk for about for a long time and perhaps a different podcast but I'm really interested in just what you're talking about not coming across as pious I think you come across as a bit of a freedom fighter really for you know battling <laughs> battling for GPs and you know you say the same well one person's broken. freedom fighter and the person's terrorist so well, there yeah. you go <laughs> you're, you're our GP's own personal terrorist <laughs> you say the system's broken and you know many of us looking at it would say yeah it, it really feels broken so if it's completely broken, what's the point in fighting for it at all? Or fighting for GP? Are we all just well, all doomed? Well, the thing is, uh, that's great uh, to take that approach. But the reality is that the NHS is, is a monopoly provider. And the majority of us have been, you know, trained and funded. Oh, hang on. There's someone at the door. <laughs> okay. Oh, hang on. Sorry, come on. recording a podcast don't worry about me I'll just leave you to talk bollocks in the background I forgot about the keys sorry Becky right that's all right sorry about that uh, that's okay uh, tell you what let me just ask you that question, question again. again yeah so um, what was I going to ask you so it's interesting to me that you say that looking in the system is broken and I think a lot of us would, would look at it and go yeah it is really broken so is it just futile trying to fight at all or are there bits of it that can be fixed um it's a really good question what we have just to be really pragmatic and realistic for a moment is a monopoly provider of services for which we are all trained and some of us might have the freedom uh, or the financial safety to be able to go i'm walking away from this i'm going to go and work for a digital first provider for private services or something online or i'm going to do something totally different and open up a craft shop or yeah, whatever that in itself needs immense financial security mm. and a, a level of independence that many of us can't afford with mortgages, with childcare, and also a freedom of thought uh, of being happy to completely divert from what you've worked for your GCSEs, A-levels, uh, mm. medical degree, integrated BSc, postgraduate diplomas, PhDs, what you've worked for decades towards that you've mm. you kind of have to psychologically buy in to why an nhs 
system works because otherwise you wouldn't have been able to have pursued that process you wouldn't mm. have done all of those hours stayed that late done all those nights um not received huge amounts of commensurate pay compared with the private sector because there was that belief of deferred pay via your pension or mm. increased autonomy when you become a partner um or different working hours if you become a gp or flexibility so i think all of us to a certain or greater or lesser extent, have bought in to the tenets of a, uh, a health system free mm-hmm. at the point of delivery. But I think because those of us have been trained in that environment where we deliver for patients, we like to say yes to patients, we now are working in a system that for the past few years has been funding has significantly decreased no matter what political Mm. headlines say and I think those of us at the coalface of the NHS can see it has and so when GPs in particular are being asked to investigate less to do fewer pathology or radiological investigations to refer less refer fewer patients to uh, try and avoid admissions uh, it kind of makes you feel what what do you want me to look after this increasingly aged increasingly comorbid and complex um, population with you know um, a magic stick it it it, it, mm. it 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 jars and because we we try and do our best we appreciate the bigger picture so a ccg might want you to not prescribe microgynon i want you to prescribe regevedon because there's a two pence difference oh but now don't prescribe regevedon prescribe the latest equivalent mm. name for the same pill for another one pence mm-hmm. saving and you think well actually how much of my time is being valued here mm. and how much am I saving the system when maybe that total budget equates to 20 million across the system, but yet you know that the trusts are operating at a deficit that's over that, and then they shift the money around and borrow it from different systems to make it even out. You think, well, I'm a cog in a much bigger wheel, and, and I'm achieving financial balance each year and seeing 90% of the NHS footprint for 10% of the resource. Mm-hmm. Why am I being asked to save these pennies when these pounds are being not contained at a higher system level so that's partly my job is to have those conversations and try and you know i think we can see the long-term plan is sensible let's move move transfer care from hospitals to community because we can't afford hospitals anymore well yeah things have changed we we don't do what we used to do my grandpa qualified as a gp in cork in 1920 four and he had his own butler and he had breakfast in bed from the matron under a silver cloche Uh, and if you had a heart attack you might be given an aspirin and sent to bed with the Mm. priest being sent for the last rites and even even when i started in general practice in 2007 and this concept of chronic kidney disease came in and Mm -hmm. we do it's so different it changes all the time and yet our contract hasn't changed so our contract is based around broadly the same red book that was negotiated in 1969 where it's estimated you might have four four consultations a year from a patient when actually the average is now more like 13.7 and it allows for two home visits a lifetime and one was to certify the death of the patient so it's not <laughs> it's true it's not no that things haven't moved on no, so, uh, and they haven't moved on because we know we can't afford it. If you look at the Scottish mm. contract where they've kind of given reassurance over premises, that's not going to happen in England because we know that the government can't afford the estates of primary care across England. Mm. So um, a lot of us are in it for the long haul and we have to protect them. 
and, and, and mitigate against the worst excesses of the system for them when they're locked in, as well as allow fluidity and fairness for those who've got a bit more flexibility, be it exiting training, deciding what salaried or role to go on or what partnership to go on or whether to become a locum and how to practice safely because that's quite an isolating dangerous time of your career mm-hmm. and quite an isolating dangerous role to be in at the start of your career um and also talking to the trainees and you know not pretending that life is full of rainbows and bunnies and it's really hard out there but it's still a fantastic career and things are going to change and i genuinely believe that resources will happen because they have to the economic argument for general practice and for general practice has never been stronger but do i think that general practice will be the same in five years time compared to today of course it's not going to be and i'm not quite sure how it's going to land it may well be we become the the community consultants managing the wider skill mix of the primary care team um who knows we'll have to see how things pan out but i guess my job and that of any LMC colleague is to mitigate against the worst excesses of the system, be it in protecting those GPs who come before performance advisory groups when they haven't admitted, when they haven't referred, when they've tried their best to, you know, let's say, I don't know, you've had a patient who's gone on an unplanned alcohol detox in the community. Well, of course, it's the best thing to have them admitted as an inpatient and have that properly mm-hmm. done or have your, your, your teenager not being given SSRIs and accessing intensive weekly cognitive behavioural therapy. That's of course, that's the gold standard, but we know how long the waiting lists are for CAMS mm. and we know what the commission services are like for substance misuse and the nice guidance and reality on the ground. There's this discrepancy where GPs become the victims of the broken system mm. and that our role is to try and uh, protect them and to negotiate with the system to mitigate against the damage that's done to that individual. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I went on a bit there. No, that was, gosh, it's really interesting, isn't it? And I guess this podcast is about, you know, what small steps can we take ourselves to make sure we don't either burn out or have to get out and leave. You support a lot of doctors through the LMC. Is there anything that you think GPs could be doing more of or less of to actually help themselves? Um, it's... It, 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 it's hard. I think I think it's knowing what where your job ends and where another person's job begins. A lot of people love to tell you how to do your job, what you should do for your patient. Well, they're not doing your job, and you know what's best for your patient. So if somebody comes in wanting a, a their solicitor sent them to you because they want a letter to get out of attending court it's absolutely correct for you to say, I can't do that. I can print out a consultation. I cannot give a, a, an opinion for a judge about whether or not you are fit to stand trial or to be a witness or whatever. If you do, you've got a risk that you could be called before the court and be found in contempt. So, you know, if, if, a, if a heavily pregnant lady wants a letter to say she's fit to fly, you don't have that crystal ball of obstetric care to know whether she's going to go into premature labour and find herself... Uh, in NICU for months on end in a country where she can't speak the language. Um, So it's okay to say no sometimes. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours? Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. 
It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. Uh, just like it's okay to say yes. It's just knowing when that is. And I think I was reflecting in surgery on Monday with uh, one of my colleagues that when I trained as a GP um, 2007, uh, I was the first year of the new MRC GP, um, the system had a bit more slack in it and there was a lot more kindness. Because we're so stretched, there's less capacity for kindness and there's less um, room for error. And I think we're expected to be on it all the time. And that's really hard. And I, I feel really, I really feel for those coming through. And we all hear everyone moan about the new GP trainee contract and how generous it is. And does it prepare them for real life and resilience? And I hate the term resilience because I kind of think, well, why should you make doctors harder? Um, why, why, why are you saying they're too soft? They're not too soft. It's mm. that it's the, everything else around them has changed. Mm. So uh, we need to make the system kinder. Um, mm. So, yeah. Which is hard to change. And, it's interesting this this saying no stuff because I think it's interesting when when doctors tend to get into trouble it's when they've said yes too much isn't it it's like you said that's saying yes absolutely say yes it. to that I've said yes to that okay patient needs a detox there's no there's no beds okay yeah I'll just do that outpatient detox for you and the community will look after you and then it all goes wrong and suddenly you've tried to be kind but you're something's happening you're the one to blame and no one's going to say oh you know what you know what it, it we can see why you did this that that was fine but, but we find it really difficult in front of the patient to say, no, I used to work with a, one of the, the partners in one of my, my practices. I mean, she was brilliant. She, she really, really quick. She'd get through all the patients. And I'd say to all, oh, you know, what about this? She said, well, I said no to him last week. Why does he come back to see you? You know, she just had absolutely no qualms in saying no to patients. And they loved her for it, weirdly. So that's, you know, that's really interesting. But equally, I mean, I'm, um, as some of my colleagues have said to me, I'm really hardcore when it comes to contractual issues, working with uh, commissioners. I'm not, I'm just, I try and be reasonable, but I'm, I feel quite strongly about fairness and the rest of it. Mm. Um, but when it comes to the patient in front of me, I'm a bit of a soft touch. I mean, I, this, I mean, there's very, I mean, I will not prescribe benzodiazepines. I won't do it yeah. because I think we've created iatrogenic dependency on a certain generation that we see all the time. And those people coming in for fear of flying, I'm like, how much is, how much is your uh, holiday costing you? And when did you book the flight? So you know you're scared of flying. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give you enough benzodiazepine to help you be sedated that you then mix with alcohol. I'm like, Have you seen the film Bridesmaids? Um, that sort of thing. And have you considered actually <laughs> going on a fit for flying course where you can get the money back to actually go and make solve this problem you know this is the nhs is not here to sedate you when there's an emergency potentially because you're almost perpetuating the problem if you're going kind to of give them two mm. tablets of two milligrams diazepam that you know isn't going to do anything it's just a placebo yeah. effect well then you know tell them to go and get some calms over the counter so there's certain things certain little rules i have that i don't i don't break and i and i, and I often i find find it helpful to reflect back to the patient and go i'm feeling really pressured I'm feeling really um, coerced into doing what you want to do. And that it's not sitting easily with me with what I know is right for you and best for you. Because we're not there to be friends with the patient. We're not there to, to make them happy. We're there to act in their best interest. And sometimes that's going to be going against what they want. And that's where that conflict is that I find very difficult. And it's the same, an issue around reducing costs of over-the-counter prescriptions and the rest of it. 
is a really important point, and I get it. But the government, if they wanted to, could solve that problem instantly by putting so many things onto, onto the grey list so they couldn't be put on an FP10, or by renegotiating prescription legislation so that, let's say you're on levothyroxine, fine, you get levothyroxine free for the rest of your life, but you don't get everything else free for the rest of your life. Yeah. But re let's remember, 90%, well, 98.5% of prescriptions are free in England anyway. It's 11.5% mm -hmm. people pay for. Um, but equally, if you come to see me in your enormous great Q7 blacked out Uber wagon and you want paracetamol on prescription, you will get it from me because I'm not going to say no, but I'm going to give you 50 mils. You know, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make yeah. it slightly not that helpful, shall we say. Um, so I'm sure my own commissioners will be delighted to hear me say that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. We are worried though, aren't we? That if we say no, we're going to get a complaint. I think, I think yeah. that's what GPs are just, we're just terrified of complaints, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And it's no surprise because we are the lucky section of the medical profession that gets complained about twice and has, has double jeopardy. So you've got your national performance list legislation where complaints to NHS England can result in, you know, going before the performance advisory group or going for the performance list decision panel. And the same complaint will be looked at in parallel by the, G, by the GMC through the MPTS. Right. And that doesn't happen to any other branch of medicine, only general practice. Mm. Um, and the PAG cases I see, it's because they didn't refer soon enough. They didn't admit, mm. they, they prescribed when they shouldn't have prescribed. Mm. Um, so I, I think if patient, patients, it's nice to make things convenient for them mm. and you want them to get the care they need. And often we can feel coerced into it. And if it's, if it's causing alarm bells internally, like you've, I mean, I'm known that I go on a bit about eating disorders and it's because this cohort have the highest mortality rate of any significant mm -hmm. mental illness. And the ombudsman's report is called ignoring the alarms, learning from deaths. And repeatedly GPs have been hauled before coroners because they have tried to, you know, supplement potassium and, 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 and the rest of it. Mm -hmm. This, it needs to be dealt with, especially it needs to be commissioned appropriately yes. because these patients deserve a better quality of care than us trying to patch the broken system together. So sometimes we do have to say, I'm really sorry, I'm not, I don't have the expertise to look after you in the way that you need to be looked after. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, we never want to send patients to hospital. I have this endless mm. conversation with commissioners. I don't want to admit somebody, you know, because it's a bit of a pain in the ass for me in the middle of surgery. Uh, much rather reassure them and send them home uh, or see them again tomorrow or whatever. Um, but secondly, I know it's not going to be very nice for them, sat in A&E or being in risk of uh, hospital-acquired infections and being away from the family. I, that's not what I want. So I'm only going to admit you if you really need to be admitted. Mm. And the same is true for referrals. You yeah. know, if there's nothing more I can do, there's nothing more I can do. And I, I really wish that we were better in general practice at collating data that demonstrates our activity because everything in the system now is about accounting lines. It's about value for money. It's about activity. And we're losing sight of, if you really want to look at activity and value for money, wow, look at the number of calls, the number of triaging, the number of mm -hmm. slots, the number of problems dealt with, visits, prescriptions mm -hmm. that we have every single day. Um, it's, and then you then, then talk to me about value for money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think GPs, we are superhuman and do an absolutely incredible job. So, you know, let's, Big, I mean, big up to the GPs. What else can GPs do? So we've got saying no, and it's not just saying no in a officious, I'm not signing that housing letter form. Or Absolutely. Not, not just that, but it's actually saying no for the, when we really want to help, but we're putting ourselves at risk because we don't actually have the clinical knowledge to do that. 
And yeah. I think that's really, and that's what we find really difficult saying no to. What, are there, is there anything else that you think can help us yeah, well, I think knowledge. System? I think okay. knowledge. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in the MRCGP, they got the curriculum nailed down to those three years and it's all clinical. They took out so much other stuff about the regulations and we're not preparing our GPs to be the independent practitioners that they need to be in the system in which they're working because there's not a lot of knowledge around the regulations, around the statutes that are there in some ways as your friend um, and understanding uh, the regulations around the performance list requirements and so on, making sure, for example, at the moment, yeah, you've got the, the clinical negligence scheme for general practice, which NHS resolutions has started since April, but we don't know how that's going to pan out. We know mm. there are two to three cases currently sitting with NHS resolutions. We don't know whether or not they're going to settle a lot, what their threshold of risk is going to be. There's a belief in some quarters that because it's run by the government, they'll be looking for financial expediency. But if that means settling too many cases, then the cost will actually increase. Mm. And it's letting so many of those GPs know that yeah, you might be covered for NHS work, but you must buy professional protection for in case you are doing things out with the NHS that a practice could receive a fee for, a safeguarding report for a vulnerable family, um, a HGV medical, um, you know, um, uh, travel vaccines that require a cost like Japanese encephalitis or, or, or yellow fever, um, or if you're called to a coroner's inquest because a patient died, uh, maybe nothing to do with you, but there was a number of events and it was an unforeseen death uh, and you need representation. And if you're criticised, you need that protection. You are not mm. covered by yeah. Crown indemnity for everything that you do. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a learning gap and that's not the fault mm -hmm. of GPs. It's that mm -hmm. I'm not sure that we are teaching them in the way that we need to be teaching them. Whether that means longer training, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a college person, but I think we need to be adding adding this in and, and it's certainly something I've tried to do locally when I was in London and also now I'm in Cambridgeshire uh, and I'd like to see it as a rolling program but also I, we get a lot of feedback and like you know what about some business skills for GPs yeah. because we've not been trained in economics we did the sciences for A levels mm -hmm. um, we're not trained in data and information governance and data processing or sharing agreements and yet we're expected you know to be the data controller to understand all the nuances behind that why well, that's not mm. the case in any other industry or profession so why should we be the exception where we're the risk sink for everything and meant to be the all-knowing omnipotent knowledge creatures well we can't be we're mm. being set up to fail so it's about yeah. knowing when to push back and why to push back uh, and when where to go and how to signpost and where do you go for support did you know there's a funded gp health program did you know there's funded counseling coaching mentoring sessions mm. um and you can be seen out of area and the lmc can help support you and people might think the lmc is just for partners well actually it's for the, it's for the whole profession it's on a patient-based levy so it's just knowing that these resources that are out there mm. exist because we're in this crazy situation at the moment whereby ccgs are forced to make enormous savings that they have to take out of budgets that provide care and then they're given money in the other hand by nhs england to try and encourage gp retention and recruitment yeah, uh, yes. and develop the pcms and you're like yeah. so yeah crazy it, it, stuff and that's why politics matters in the nhs mm. and i know a lot of gps are like oh dust don't even talk to me about politics and i have absolute sympathy with them but it's really important that some of us do get it mm -hmm. because it has a direct impact on your daily life yeah. 
Well, Katie, I mean, I, for one, am incredibly grateful that there are people like you fighting the cause and who really, you know, know what they're talking about and can stand up and say, look, this is what's going on and it's really daft and, you know, it, and it's not fair and it's going to break. And if you carry on like this, this is what's going to happen. If you had three top tips for a GP now who's just thinking, oh, how do I survive the next five years until things get better? What would you say? Um, I think only do what you can do and mm. better understand where your job ends and where someone else's job begins. If you work in a practice, understand what your practice policies are, because sometimes it's much easier to say, I'm really sorry, this is the practice policy, but don't get drawn too far down that. Otherwise I'll go, well, can you make an exception for me? Cause you say you're really sorry. Mm. So you clearly understand and you agree with mm. me. So can we just do this? And they won't tell them. Know where your line in the sand is, because if you don't have one, you know, we won't know when you've crossed it. And yeah. that's true for your own mental health, uh, recognizing burnout um, and, and knowing when that's happened to you. And I, and I speak from a place when I was a partner and was immensely burnt out and it affected me. I've got a chronic health condition. I have MS and I'm not, I'm not secret about that, but I, I, it was really affected me in terms of the stress of the 15 hour days and the liability mm. of the staff and, and everything else, the lack of control. Uh, and sometimes your dream might not be right for you, but that's okay because you have chosen a career path that affords an immense amount of flexibility mm. and mm. understand who you are as a GP, give yourself time because what you might've walked into 20 years ago as a job for life, it just isn't the case anymore. The environment's mm. way more plural and understand what makes you tick. Actually, are you better working in a smaller team with greater continuity and personal list-based care with perhaps, you know, that, that, that amount? Or what do you prefer that kind of ability to be able to triage and uh, not have to have that level of continuity as much and prefer to be in a big organisation with a niche interest and fit into a cog in a bigger wheel? It's horses for courses and it's okay to recognise that mm. it's not one size fits all. Um, and I suppose my final point would be, employ some cognitive dissonance, have a hinterland, have something else that makes you tick. Mm. It's really important that the job doesn't become you and you're not defined by the job. What I, we often see in general practice is a, a really dangerous combination of the Messiah complex and the martyr complex. And that, and that together is a recipe for burnout. And, and if you burn out and you've lost everything that defined you, people find it really hard to carry on and cope and, and have to learn who they are again. So pursue your interests uh cultivate your friendships um you know rely on your family uh, and, and do your best and you would constantly be juggling i always feel like a shit mum uh and you know never getting the yeah. balance right ever um you know but don't be too harsh on yourself and uh you know do as i say not as i do <laughs> recognize you're good enough you know good, good enough, enough. Good, good enough, enough mum good enough partner and that's true for your CQC rating. Don't try and, you know, don't try and be top trumps and outstanding because there's only one way to go from outstanding. Just be good enough. Just give good enough care. It's safe. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Because you're not funded to give a platinum level service. Mm. Wow, that's really wise. And I think, you know, this thing about diversify a bit as well, you know, find out who you are as a GP and do some other stuff too just help you use different bits of your brain help will help you be able to cope with the clinical stuff as well i've i've found that really really important absolutely in my own practice so what's next for you katie what are you working on at the moment <laughs> juggling all these spinning plates <laughs> uh, <Yeah>, anything else 
<laughs> no time for anything else. I'm looking forward to the next, to the um, the UK Drag Race starting on the third of October. I can't wait for that. RuPaul's Drag Race UK. Uh, uh -huh. I'm a massive Drag Race aficionado. <laughs> Stroking cats to calm down. Uh -huh. Yeah, and then yeah, and then feeling guilty when I give my children Haribo rather than dried fruit and let them watch YouTube rather than Baby Einstein and listen to, you know, CBeebies rather than Radio 3, but, you know, then drink my cold coffee and sit on the toilet and be watched and have an audience. So, you know, it's, it's, how, it's how it is for all of us, really. We're all doing the same thing. And this isn't a gender thing at all. As I, as I, try, as I keep telling everyone, this isn't a gender thing because all the, all the chaps my age who are in my profession and in my, in my, in my work are all exactly the same. We're all, we're all parents juggling mortgages, juggling yeah. children and yeah. um and the job and the requirements of the job uh and, and it's 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 a much more relationship of equals now you know yeah back in the day maybe the senior partner was you know did have a stay-at-home wife but nowadays you know the 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 the, the doctors are far more likely to have uh, another a spouse in full-time work or part-time work juggling all the demands of the family which is really stressful for everyone so um so yeah we we yeah it's uh it's okay keep busy Give enjoy what you do Give yourself yeah. a break. Yeah, go easy on yourself. Yeah. yeah. Watch Drag Race. Good. Yeah. Good. If great. you can't Thanks. love yourself, how the hell are you going to love someone else, as Mama Ruth There says. you go. If you can't Words love yourself, you can't love other people. Brilliant. So you can contact Katie How if someone wanted to contact sure, you. Sure, I'm on Twitter, at Dr. <laughs> underscore Katie, K-A-T-I-E. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm on there far too much, I'm sure. Uh, and if you're the LMC, then we're office at camslmc.org. And mm -hmm. if you've got any ideas or aspirations for how we could improve conference or what the, what the GPC could do better for GPs, then you can do uh, at BMA underscore GP or tweet me at uh, Dr. Underscore Katie. Brilliant. Well, Katie, thank you so much. I know you, for fitting us into your really busy schedule and I'd love to have you on the podcast again. Um, but until then, uh, goodbye. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye now, Rachel. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe to the podcast and also please rate it on iTunes so that other people can find it too. Do follow me on Twitter at Dr. Rachel Morris and you can find out more about the face-to-face -face and online courses which I run on the youarenotafrog.co.uk website. Bye for now. <laughs>